Hi there, MJ here, your podcast host. This is the show where we talk about all things life, struggles, and trauma. Only full transparency, no filters, no judgment, because nobody cares. This episode may contain disturbing details and triggering content for victims of molestation and sexual harassment. Remember that this show is all about trauma and healing from them, so please only proceed with this episode if you know you can handle it. Hi everyone! Happy Friday! Today's episode is very special because we have a very special guest who I never thought would ever make it onto the podcast. <laughs> we have the wifey here with us, joining us. Um, if you, you could tell from the intro and the trigger warning, then you can assume that this one's going to be very intense. And uh, I kind of wanted somebody to bounce back and forth with on this week's episode. So, I'm in. Hey, I am so happy to be here by your side. I know this is a touchy subject, so I'm glad that you have me to speed on. Yeah, so this one's a real raw and very intimate episode. Yep. You get to see both sides of the spectrum. And one that gets to deal with the trauma and then the person that loves her through it and we work through it. We try and do better for our kids. Before we get into the nitty gritty, we have to start with faves and fails for the week. You want to go first? No, you're the special guest. You go first. All right. Um, Fave for the week was, Babe was on drill. And on drill, it was your fave that is gone. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Me and the kids get to like literally do whatever we want, however we want. Wow. Eat all the food. Um, so we went to a family party and it was great. It was really nice. And they had a swimming pool and I did not prepare for the swimming pool. <laughs> and the kids won the battle. They ended up in the pool and they had just the best time ever. And it was actually really cool to see them swimming and being kids and not being on their devices so it was a nice battle to lose um my fail for the week is i have had a horrendous cough and everyone's looking at me like i have covid and i finally went to the doctor because i couldn't handle it anymore and i found out that i have the world's worst allergies so okay but you guys literally she's been coughing for like 21 days straight and we've lost sleep over it because she just can't stop fucking coughing. And I was like, you need to go to the doctor. And she was like, I'm not going to go to the doctor. You just, they're just not going to put me on meds and I'm not going to go. And so finally, <laughs> I fell asleep on the sofa before I was going to work. And I was like, okay, this isn't normal. So yeah, I went to the doctor and the doctor was like, you have really bad allergies. I can't believe you waited this long to come in. Now I take like 50 nasal sprays and 10 different pills and I have to put this thing in my nose. I get so much about her nasals and it's so much fun. It's so satisfying. Yeah, that's now I got to keep up with that. (laughs) If you guys know me, I don't take medicine. So this is going to be a fun journey. (laughs) 
and she just has to take medication for the rest of her life. What a fun time to age, huh? Yeah, this is 30 for sure. My faves uh, is that earlier this week, well, actually last week when my when the last episode published, I had a client who, well, not a client, but she, I guess she's a virtual friend because we have yet to meet ever, but she reached out to me and she shared with me her story and how it was so similar to the story that I told last week. And we talked, we chatted back and forth for a good like hour, hour and a half. And she was just telling me her story with her parents and her stepmom. And it was very similar to how I was raised and how she was also the oldest. And she was also like, you know, the stepchild. And it was really cool to hear, I guess, a listener's point of view and how someone out there actually, you know, really does relate to my story because that's really empowering for me to be sharing you know the vulnerable sides of my childhood and then to know that somebody relates to that I was like oh shit somebody somebody relates to my traumas for real and like it was crazy like our stories were so similar almost to a t and um for rivalry reasons I'm not gonna like share details or whatever but I don't know it was really cool very heartwarming and um if you're somebody who relates to anything that we talk about in this episode or in the, in the last few episodes, please reach out because it's really cool. It's really cool to know that, like, I don't know, the podcast isn't just out there in the universe doing absolutely nothing for people. And it's actually an outlet for, you know, people. Absolutely. I think this was the goal when Faith told me, hey, I want to start a podcast. I'm like, oh, boy, what are we doing here? But now seeing her thrive and seeing people reaching out, I'm like, hey, you're making a difference. It's like one person at a time. I think that's the goal. The world's a better place. Um, my fail is that I had drill. <laughs> so that's weird that that was your fave. Yeah. So weird. I miss the family gathering. I didn't get to go to the party, but... It's not that it's, it's just, you guys, the hours are so long. The day goes by so slow and it's just, I hate, I hate drill weekends. I do. Like I would rather be home with the family or be the clients lashing, but hey, I signed the dotted line. So it's price I got to pay. Okay. So my mom and I, our family in the Philippines, we both came from a huge family, right? Like she was... She came from, I think they were like six brothers and sisters, and then had cousins and aunts and everybody like we plagued the diet city. But when it came to the States, uh, her husband also came from a pretty big family. You know, he, they, I think he had five brothers or there were five of them all together and they had their own kids and grandkids and cousins as well. So it wasn't hard to transition into his family. I was, I remember being welcomed with open arms and they were all very nice to me as a 10 year old. And I met, you know, met his parents and they introduced me as my grandparents and then met all the uncles and their wives. And, um, I, it was really cool. From what I remember, like they were all really nice. They were all obviously members of the church. 
um, well, a few women were members of the church, and then a few women were not very active. And so it was nice to have, to be surrounded by people that were not just people in my household, because it was a very different dynamic. You know, they had their own personality. They ran their homes very differently, and they basically had their own thing going on, which is very different from how mom and dad were at home. So being around them during family gatherings, whether it was Thanksgiving or somebody's birthday or parties or anything like that, it was nice because, you know, they were really cool and and fun and we got to do fun things together. And then I remember we would go home and then it sucked because now I was asleep again kind of thing. And um, I remember gravitating towards a specific family member I remember just thinking like he was really cool and very hip and very attentive. And anytime we would have family gatherings, he was always the first one to come say hi to me. And I always looked forward to seeing him. And I always looked for him because he paid attention to me when no one else paid attention to me. And like the other family members, yeah, they'll say hi and acknowledge me out of... I guess politeness, but the family member would actually ask me, Hey, how's school going? Any boyfriends yet? Or hi hey, how are your grades looking like? And did you make any friends at school? And what is it that you need? I got, you know, like it he was he made me feel comfortable talking to him and approaching him about literally anything. And I would talk to him about stuff at school that I know for a fact I couldn't tell my parents about. And I, like, that was really nice because at that time, I mean, in my past episodes, I talked about how I just really didn't like being home. And I didn't like being, you know, just alone with my parents. Like, there was just so much tension and animosity and I was absolutely mentally miserable and emotionally miserable. And every time I looked forward to family gatherings because I knew he was going to be there and I was going to get to like talk to somebody who was actually willing to listen to what I had to say. So you felt heard. Yeah. I felt heard and paid attention to. And I looked up to this person because. Well, because he was giving me something that I wasn't getting at home from the people that were supposed to be giving it to me. I totally understand that. So do you think that with now what we know and what we've been and how we build, would you consider that like learning? Kind of? Yeah, now that I'm talking about it, it's, it's definitely, definitely grooming. And I don't even know the actual definition or characteristics of the term grooming, but I genuinely at that time I believe that he was just this cool grown up to look up to that I could turn to and call whenever I turned eighteen and needed a ride because I couldn't call my parents. And that's not at all what it was. But what point did that relationship from it being someone you trusted to something else alter you when that started happening? 
I was 13. And I remember at the Mormon church, they do all kinds of parties. So there was this luau that we were going to have for the Lord. And the Mormon church in, the, in, in, the, in Utah, they're very dominant in the Polynesians and, and Hawaiian and the Islanders. So even the bishop at the time, he was, he was from Hawaii and his wife was from New Zealand. And so we were going to have a luau and I got recruited to be one of the dancers, one of the hula dancers with the other women. And my mom was there. She was also got recruited as a dancer. My little sister was there. I was 13. And she was, she was filling up, you know, the body. Oh, you're maturing into your body. Puberty, you know, little baby MJ. She was getting her tatas. What did you guys like wear? Coconuts? Mom, that's not sir. Because I don't see this happening in a Mormon church. <laughs> no, we don't dress like that. Yeah, I know. Okay. Hula uh, girls that you put on the dashboard. I think what I'm trying to do is uh, kind of really set the stage for what we're about to talk to and talk about. So, you're just modestly. Yes. You're we, just Mormon. We wore, we wore black t-shirts and we wore the little skirt thingies that you tie to the side. So fabric. So you were fully full. You had American style. No, absolutely. And that's not a lot of knowledge. But anyway, my features were starting to mature. And so, um, my dad was very kind of a, for lack of a better term, show off kind of guy. And he was always the guy with the camera and the guitar. That's how everybody, that's how I still know. He has his camera on to this day all the time. You will always find him with the guitar. And so at the time when we were taught the dance, the Polynesian dance, that we were supposed to perform in front of the church, um, we went to go visit his mom, which was grandma at the time. And he was like, oh, the girls just learned this dance. Show them, show mom the dance. And it just so happened that this sadly back where that I looked up to lived at with And so he was trying to gather everybody in the living room and like, yeah, they just learned the dance. You need to, it's really cool. You watched them. So we, like bosses, showed up to Grandma's house dressed in our outfits for the dance. Absolutely. It was a rehearsal. Yes. Okay. So we showed up. We turned on the tape, or the CD. <laughs> so this wasn't that long ago. And we started dancing. And if you know nothing about Polynesian dances, it's a lot of movement. A lot of... Just look up Joe Coy the music. Dance. It's just a lot of good movement and turning around and basically a modest way of twerking. Yeah. That was the first time I ever learned how to actually twerk. Twerk. Cool. Walk. 
Um, so anyway, we finished the dance. Well, Farmer had to go to the person who was there to go to the basement and check out the spot. He was showing off his living space. And, um, everybody goes upstairs. Just, this is how much nobody gives a fuck about me. I was the last one in that room to go up the stairs. And because it was his room, he was left behind with me. And I remember going up the stairs and just him grabbing me and pinned me up against the wall and he shoved his fingers at that. I was 13. Wow. It's really intense. And watching you now, I mean, I know you guys get to hear our voices, but there's so much more emotion behind this. We've been married for five years now. And watching you talk about it, it like infuriates me. For the first time. And well, yeah, like we've talked about this, but never in this depth. So, not in this month. Are like what you do picture. So I think um this podcast is gonna get a little squirrel. We're gonna get demonetized before we get monetized. <laughs> We're gonna kind of bounce off on this conversation because this is really hard for her to talk about it. So I might chime in and gonna kind of turn into a little interview. This one's a tough one, guys. Bear with us. And uh, I promise you that if you guys keep listening, it's it gets better. It gets better. So let's touch back on what we just said. What happened after the stairs? How did you guys get on the stairs back upstairs? My mom yelled me. And then I ran up the stairs. And what's that? like emotional wise. I remember my heart pounding out of my chest. Like I could, you know how sometimes you have like a panic attack and your heart starts pounding out of your chest that you can hear it in your ears. Yeah. I'll never forget my chest. It was like, if you could see it move, it was literally rising up and down. And I don't, I don't know and that's not like all against your religion and every which she performed sex or is just supposed to call Fuck religion it's against the u.s law well yeah that too but at 13 all you know is family and we'll church and what you're not supposed to be doing and then that happens to you on top of everything that's already happened in the internet and the boy putting his arm around you episode, like, there's been such a buildup of all the things that you were doing wrong in your eyes as a child trying to get through the life that you're now currently living. And then that happens, like, how do you process that? I don't think I did. I think I was pretending it didn't happen until the next one with that. I feel it was Thanksgiving, it was Christmas, 
And they always just, it became this thing that kept happening every time I was around. But did that relationship change? Yeah, I mean, a part of me felt like it was okay. Which, I know victim mentality, right? But at the end of the day, he was this person that still cared about what I was doing at school. He was this person that still cared about what I was into and giving me the listening ear and the caring words and uh, whatever. But then it's like when nobody's looking. So he played the fat in front of everybody. And was it that dynamic didn't change for him? Right. Did it change for you? I like the attention. And I know that's so cringe to say and probably hear, but you have to remember I was 13, 14, 15, 16. Like I, nothing at home changed. Like my parents were still the way they were and my school life was still the way it was and the responsibilities I had were still the responsibilities I had to perform. So being around him was like that one, that moment I looked forward to, to get stuff off my chest and actually complain about all the wrong things that were going on in my life. And so, yeah, like, I like the attention, but I didn't like that. Yeah. I knew that wasn't, that shouldn't be happening, but it was one of those things that was like, you know, it's okay. It's fine. So he sat there and like listened and was still really, really cool. Literally the definition of grooming. And then at the end of it, he was like doing what he needed to do. Did he ever like tell you not to say anything? No, he didn't. I do remember him saying, thank God you're just adopted. Wow. Those exact words. Wow. Thank God you're just adopted. Just like that. And so, but I feel like it was safe. It was safely assumed that I just wasn't going to say anything. And even if I did, which I eventually did, no one's going to forgive me. I was a trouble child. I was a fuck up child. Yeah. So you were just honestly the perfect person he could have chosen. I guess. Thank you. That's crazy. So yeah, I went on and on and on and on, and I started feeling gross. Well, did you get to a point where you just didn't want to go to these family gatherings? Yes. And how was that like? Yes. Like as I grew older, maybe a year, two years into it, I was like, you know what? The attention is in the thing were. Because then I started feeling impure, like... You also have to remember, I was a member of the church and there was a constant push and pull of like saving yourself for marriage and yes, and making sure that I was doing everything right that way that I was supposed to so I could go ahead and so morally you were all yes. so messed up. I was all right, so doing anything. Exactly. Wow. I was all kinds of fucked up on the inside and I was just like, I felt guilty, but then the physical side of it was like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's supposed to be doing that, but also like, 
nobody's helping you or yeah or nobody's noticing so but like he should know better because he's older but then now i'm over here laying down in my bed thinking like thinking it's normal right yes almost thinking it's normal is what it sounds like but also say also knowing deep down that that's not right i don't think he's supposed to be doing that you know and then after the few times that it happened i feel like my life and my decisions kind of just escalated and this was when i started getting attracted to curls dang i mean you know i always i feel like a part of me always knew when i was younger like i always had attraction i guess people that look like you <laughs> dang i feel it sad okay so at this point i was 15 and finally went back to public school i was freshman in high school which was the shittiest fucking time of my life. High school was the shittiest time. Of my life. I know we can say we can have a whole episode on how fun high school was twenty years old and how you were just hot shit and all past it. But you see, this is my podcast. You're gonna have to make your own podcast. Talk about that. No, nobody wants to hear any of that. Well, Pete, this is your podcast. It was so shitty. Like I had no friends. I missed seventh and eighth grade, so everybody was already friends with everybody. Yeah. And then I was just here I am as a freshman. And then freshman is already intimidating on it. There's probably crazy stories about you at this point, like, oh, she was in school and then they homeschooled her. So there's probably like a strange narrative about you already. There were some kids that I had in sixth grade that I recognized and I was like, Oh yeah, we were we could be friends. But no. And just like it. fuck no no that's such a weird time in everybody's life like oh for sure 13 14 15 those are really strange years not to mention everything that was going on at home the way you're being raised and what you're going through so i could see that mm-hmm. and so that's going to high school i started to learn how to hide stuff and uh I was all, I was, I mean, my parents were not wrong. I was exposed to the ways of the world. But also, I feel like if I wasn't sheltered from it and we had more conversations about what I can and can't do or what I should and shouldn't do, and had they not kept me like the leash so tight, I wouldn't have been so curious about so much more things. Absolutely. It's we're not talking about substance abuse or anything like that. By the way, I've never done that. Not even in high school, but definitely the, the crowd that I was, you know, getting into and friends that I was having. Because at that point, I was like, I'll be friends with anybody who wants to be friends with me. Whether they were dangerous too, right? Because look what happened. Your uncle. Whether they were the influence or not, I was like, whoever will take me in here a little quick, I'll take it. Because I just wanted to be a part of something. I was not a part of anything. Emotionally, mentally, physically, at home, anywhere. And so I gravitated towards friends that I would never be friends with today. So were you able to go to like football games or join any activities? And you know, I've been to a football game in the Except last year at the Dallas Cowboys. That's right. But this one. 
So it's safe to say you like were going from home, the church, school, church, home, then I didn't have a social life. I well, first of all, I have friends. And then second, I I couldn't go on games, I couldn't go on dances, I couldn't go to school activities. Because that was just the only activities I was allowed to go to was uh young church activities on Wednesday night. But you like the youth yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well that's not a cool high school experience. No, I all fucking hated high school. That so like every time somebody tells me about our high school, high school is so fun. Oh, like really? Because I ate my lunch in the bathroom stall. Wow, for real? For yes, for real. And the handicap stall, the biggest one. I would take my lunch from the cafeteria, go to the upstairs bathroom where no one ever goes on the second floor on the right hallway, and I would bring my lunch to the handicap stall. It's crazy. And I didn't have a phone. Everybody else had phone. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have anything. And I would sit there by the toilet and eat my lunch. That was my high school experience. Thank. And so in high school, there was, was there anybody that like noticed you? Well, I was in sophomore year now. And I successfully finished freshman year without any fuck ups. I know of a big deal in the eyes of in their high school. Yeah. And, um, we're moving off to 10th grade and I convinced my parents to let me join choir. Cause I love to sing. I love when you sing. It's one of my favorite things you do. Oh, stop. So you gotta, gotta brush up on your choir skills. I got, is that not an elective for you guys? Yeah. Okay. So you got, so wait, they would pick your elective? Yeah. Ah, wow. So you didn't even get to pick your own classes. It just, yeah, I had to make sure that they can afford it. So choir was free. Okay, yeah, I could, I could see. You only paid for your uniform. Gotcha. I tried to join cheer and I tried to join dad and ball ball. It's too expensive or they weren't able to drive practice. I was going to have to figure out my way to get there. That's really hard now that we're parents I feel we just bend over backwards to literally I force my bell to join cheer or some kind of club right that's the rule in this house like, you got to do something and yeah. now I know where that stems from because you didn't get to do anything I didn't I didn't and I remember like having to ask for money for field trips and stuff require well it was wild but anyway, I joined choir, and in this choir class, I knew absolutely nobody. I still didn't have any friends. I love you so much, and I'm so happy to spend with you. Baby, tell me what we're about. But as uh, we'll see, this cute little love on this class. I didn't really know how the fuck we became friends. Well, we became friends. Let's be honest. <laughs> There was an attraction that had been both. Let's just be honest. No, genuinely speaking, we started out as friends. It always starts like that. All with me, I will 100% be transparent. I was definitely attracted to me, but I was like 
my self-esteem was so shot that I, there was just absolutely no like we were just friends yeah there's no way this was gonna be a thing I, she just sees me as a friend and she's really nice because she knows i'm a loser and she's talking to me. but that's still cool there's somebody right yeah it was and that's exactly the point is that she became the person that i turned to every fucking day at school and i hated the fact that choir was only tuesdays and thursdays Sucked. You went to big high school, right? I went to big high school, like really big. I went to like big fancy high school, like big, like bigger than thought was big. Double, triple, double. That's pretty big. I graduated. Well, I graduated. I just started off with about a thousand kids. I think we graduated right around six hundred if we were lucky. Or would you like the thousands? That's crazy. Yes. Okay, so she noticed you, and how did you guys get from? Choir classes twice a week, apparently. <laughs> we hung out every day. Okay. We hung out every day and we would hide in the back of the school in the field and sit on the field and just talk about life. And I would bitch about my life and she would bitch about her life. And we became really good friends. And then one day, I went to the restroom and I was like, yo, I gotta, I gotta go. And I come out. And the restrooms, they had vending machines right next to them. And I come out and she uh, bought me a Twix candy bar. Did you get the right side or the left? What? Did you get the right Twix? Or no, I got both sides. Oh, wow. She bought it just for me. It was for you. So I was like, oh, please. She was like, yeah, I know that's your favorite candy bar. And from then on, we just was it. You guys, it's the way. Every time I piss her off, I can. Oh, shit. It's great. And then that turned into a thing. And I fell madly in love with her. Like 16 year old, 15 year old love. And she became my person that I turned to at school. And it turned into her reading for me after class and then her walking me to my bus and then eventually her driving all the way to my bus stop to pick me up and take me so we could drive to school together. So like I would pretend I would go to the bus, but she was there right behind the bus and I would go to the bus. So you were living an alter ego life. Sneaking around because you do her. My parents would your parents were gonna be cool with that, right? And her ever. So I feel like the shoe's fixing the droplet. Oh, the shoe drop, baby. Let's talk about the shoe lift. The drop. What would change from like this perfect little... So, so we did that for a while. I think the relationship lasted like two or three months. And she was very patient with me. And she was always like, come to the football game. And I just was not allowed. And she asked me to the sweetheart's dance. And I just, I couldn't go. And we never did anything outside of school. And a part of me was like, man, she's going to get so bored and so tired and whatnot. But no, she stayed really patient. We, she would take me out for lunch. Like we would leave campus. Like I was literally, I went from being a homeschool kid to living my best life. It was like one of those movies where like this kid is so sheltered and then she meets this person and then this person comes out and this song comes on and she just is a whole new world. She showed me that for the very first time in America. I'm super blessed that yeah 
And then because we were so public about our relationship, like we were those gross people that would make out of the holidays in a Mormon school. Dang. Yeah. Like we did not give a fuck. And um, <laughs> kids started to talk. And kids that went to my church started to talk. And kids that knew me and knew my parents and kids that knew me, that knew my friends, that knew people at my church. Everybody fucking knew that I was gay. Which at that time, I still didn't even know. Like, I was just, I just knew I liked her and she liked me and that's what we were doing. Kids talked to their parents and parents talked to other parents. And soon enough, uh, it's just spread throughout the whole ward and everybody knew in the ward except for my parents because they were obviously scared to tell my very strong personality well how did that get to um the bishop at that time the bishop and i were very uh we were besties he really cared for my well-being and he would check up on me you would have individual one-on-one interviews with me. So him and I weren't very close. And one day, it was actually Halloween day. I'll never forget. I was dressed as a, one of those grease girls. What are they called? Um, I don't know. I had the pool skirt. I got you. You're a 50s girl. Good. Yeah, that's. And um, I was running from my house up the hill to go to the bus stop quote unquote the bus stop and it's so funny because his house was right up the street from ours and i was running and it was like he was waiting for me out his outside and he ran after me barefoot he was wearing a white shirt and and gym shorts barefoot running after me in the pool and i was like hi bishop and he was like mary you guys i'm not very married please don't order call me you will pay double price for your lashes. <laughs> he was like, Mary, I've been, I've thought about it and I've been praying about it. And if you don't tell your parents, I'm going to tell your parents. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I look up so fast. Just <laughs> Well, because we, him and I had talked about, you know, me and why I was meeting with this girl because everybody knew and everybody saw how into each other we were at school. And so um, he was concerned for my spiritual being. And he was just doing his job, you know, trying to steer a lost soul in the right direction, for sure. Because, like I said, homosexuality is a next murder in the Mormon church. And so I was like, okay, I'll tell him. Because I just didn't want my parents hearing it from him. But they knew it was going to come out. It was basically an ultimatum. Like, oh, you tell them, I tell them, but they're going to be told. Oh, for sure. And so I didn't tell them. But then Sunday came around and the bishop was there and he was like, all right, so are we going to do this? And I was like, well, can you come with me? And, we'll do and he was like, yeah, I'll come with you. But one more thing. You really need to tell your parents about this family member molesting. Oh, so you really confided with this guy? Oh, yes. We met every Sunday because he was very concerned about me and he actually cared. And if you don't know, Bishop is the one that runs the ward 
and he basically shoulders everybody, every member's problem in the ward. And ward members could vary from 100 to 200 different people. And if you had a problem, you can go bishop, whether it was financial, mental, anything. You came to him and it was his job to help you out. So I'm confused, though, like listening to the whole story and very, you know, molestation going on. This guy knew and he didn't tell anybody. It wasn't his responsibility or how does that work? Because he's telling you, you have to tell It's him. like uh, your child. It's like there is basic confidentiality. Gotcha. The bishop is not allowed to, which is why he came to me to say, hey, I'm either going to, you either tell him or I will tell him. But how come he was so concerned about the girl more than the it was actual issue of the molestation? I don't think he was more concerned about the girl. I think it was a gateway for the molestation to come out. That too. Okay. Because at the time, he worked for Coffin Services. Wow. So he worked for them. Yes. But that's where the moral conflict comes in because as the bishop, he is bound to keep everything that comes to him confidential. Well, there's a really hard spot. It is. It, it, I, it sucks. It's, it's like a very heavy, heavy burden to carry to be the head of the church and to know that all of these things are going wrong. Like if couples were having an affair, they came to him and they told him that he was not last to me. Well, especially as a gatekeeper. Yes. You told him the secret and it was his job to guide you. Yes. To the judge. It was between him, the member, and God. But in the real world, he protected kids. But it just, it sucked. And I get it. But I think it became too heavy for him to carry all of that. That's what it sounds like. For him to be like, look, do you really, this will need to come out. So he said, well, I'll come with you. We'll go tell your parents right now. I'll come to the house with you. We'll sit them down. But I, I need you to tell them about this family member molesting you. And I, that was the one thing that I was like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'll tell them about this for but I can't do that. So you'd rather out yourself and be stunned and outcast than to reveal in an RP, which is going on. It's weird, right? That is really weird. But I think I can understand it a little better knowing how it works. Like, that's. I feel like you don't think anyone was going to believe you. No one was going to believe me. But they're going to believe you're gay because I was a fuck on you. You're a bad kid, right? And everybody dies. So I can see that. Okay, so you get to the house and. You can get to the house and we sent them down. And all the kids were sitting in the basement and looked down and he was sitting next to me and my parents were sitting at our side and her. And they had to move Oh, for sure, go down. And you just see it in my mom's face, bro. Like, what now? She just had that look. I don't remember exactly what was said. But I remember coming out right with it, and I told him, I only think I'm gay. So you led with that first? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was I'm not crazy hearing the story this way. Like, I've heard bits and pieces, so, like, my reaction's super genuine. 
I did. I just it came out with it. And I was like, I, I think I'm gay. I've been dating this girl for the last three months. So they were like livid at this point. Pissed. Pissed. They not like no crickets. No one said anything. My mom was just staring me at the ground. Like she was just fuming. You could see smoke coming out of her ears. So you let with the most not an important thing. Not an important thing. And tempers were already flaring and they had to mm-hmm. kind of hold their composure because the man that runs the church is sitting in their living room. Yes. And when I tell you, I did not want him to leave. I've never wanted anything so bad in my life. I didn't want him to leave my side. I didn't want him to leave the house. I didn't want him to leave at all. Yeah, I would have been terrified. Absolutely terrified. So I said that. No one said anything. No response. And then Bishop goes, also, there's this family member who has been treating her in a So he let that conversation. Yes. And how did that dynamic change from when things were angry to hearing that? Nothing changed. Everybody was still silent. Nobody, like nothing. Not even dad. Nobody fucking said anything. So did he, like, talk about it in depth, or was it just... No, there were no details that were given. It was just, like, he's been lasted, and I just never knew him. I just been an ongoing thing for the last three years. And there was no tone, no change, no nothing. No. So I'm assuming the bishop eventually left. The bishop eventually left, and all of my God, I was terrified. What, what happened? I was just that door closed. Oh, we sat there for like three more hours. Did they finally talk? Yes, they did. I don't remember how it came about, but I remember these exact words. He would never do that. So they defected. My dad said he would never do that. Word for word. That must have been... Um, all all my fears came about. Like, I would just see so you knew you were going to be police. Exactly. I'm just, I was this fuck up kid and now I was gay and I've been doing this behind her back for the last three months and now all of the things that I have caused to happen and now this. So I just, I'm just, I need attention. He would never do that. So there was no like phone call. There no. Was no. Are you okay? No. Let's get checked. No. What all happened? Did they even want to talk about it or was it just... And then I vaguely remember mom saying, if you knew this was happening, why do you still be bringing yourself around? And I also remember her not call me on this, but she said something like, that's what you get for wearing the stuff that you wear. But they were, they were upset. They were upset with me. So they had two moms. They had the, my daughter, lesbian my mom gay. <laughs> and then you have these allegations that they're claiming to be false that i provoked my partner to do the things that he did and it coming from like the most respected man in the church there was no well no there was no absolutely nothing was done but what happened after that i stopped going to school your choice or their choice um, their choice to 
So after that, there was a series of events that happened. I don't remember much, but I remember that going to the school. And you know how you have set counselors at the school? Yeah. Like they go by the alphabet? Well, my last name fell on a lesbian counselor's lap. Oh, double whammy. Double whammy. Huge crutch on her, by the way. For sure. Back in the day. And he came to the school and he talked to the principal and he was like, I would like my daughter moved from this counselor to a different counselor. Above and beyond. To keep me on the street and more, more fun and tender. I mean, we all know how that worked out, so. A lot of effort put into a non-important topic when there was a bigger one. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then they started telling me we have monitor we hired monitors at your school. We're gonna know if you talk to her and if you see her and if you even come close to her. They were just burning from all ends, whether it was with your uncle or at home. We have we have counselors that are keeping an eye on you specifically and they're gonna call us if they see you with her. So you better not even think about it. So you lost your best friend, your only friend. Yeah. And the person that you were, you know. All in love with, hanging out with. It wasn't even that. It was just all the places that I had. And so I went back to eating my lunches in Denver. Terrible. And for like three months, it was great. Like I had a confidant and I had somebody, It I had something to look forward to at school because at that point I had nothing to look forward to at school and I had nothing to look forward to at home. So having her in my life at that time and the role that she played, it was like, okay, I can do this. And then after that, I became really depressed and I just had nothing to live for anymore. And they were up my ass and I, I still didn't have a phone. I didn't have friends. Nobody had my back. This big, huge confession was just made about me getting molested. So I really closed down and remember nothing was done about it. And I uh, had to go to the What was that? I, mean, I don't know if you want to talk about that or if we leave that for the next episode, but. What did that look like for you? How did you get there? It was just a whole build up. I mean, it was just, I was so tired of everything that was happening. And I don't know, like, just, there was nothing for me to look for. I was 16. Oh, my first time working in. First time working in. Tired, wow. And I went to the medicine cabinet and I picked one that looked like legal and I took a bunch of them and I was like an hour of sleep. I had like no second thoughts. And uh, turns out it wasn't legal enough. I'm still here. <laughs> so glad that we all are. <laughs> Talking this episode was like really hard to talk about. Because, I mean, I've never actually given you full detail of how, like, of the first time that it occurred. Then I didn't even talk about all the last time it happened. But I feel like there's just such a stigma, you know, like, sitting there in front of my parents and then the bishop leaving and then me knowing already that I just wasn't going to be believed or be supported or be cared for or it was so irrelevant to them and I feel like there's so many other women 
in the whole wide world that go through the same thing and never actually come out and talk about it. I mean, you see it every day on the news with celebrities and shit, but I'm talking about like just everyday women that have gone through stuff like this. It is. And and look at those people that are brave enough to say things like they don't say it right when it happens. They talk about it years later. and Like me. Yeah, it's like trauma that almost only heal by yourself but it really never gets healed i think it's a trauma that occurs that people block out like literally before i started recording this i told you i can't even remember details because i just blocked it out so much and pretended that it just never happened but it's like shoving it under the rug instead of vacuuming under the rug and healing it and talking about it whether you talk about it on your therapist or you journal it or that you start a podcast like me but i don't know what it is that society has placed this stigma around like making such a taboo topic why i mean at the end of the day like sitting here listening to your story i think it just comes down to people and when somebody in your life tells you things that you were told, it makes you almost feel like your voice and what you have to say has no substance and it's no value and it's not important or it's okay, it's supposed to be like that. And it's not. None of that's okay. Like, I couldn't imagine my daughter going through that or my son or even you, like, knowing the story now in more detail. Like, I'm sorry. I never really respected this person because I do know them. And it's just going it to continue to be a bigger barrier between them and our family because it's not okay. It's not. If you guys have ever experienced sexual abuse or molestation or suicide, are definitely resources out there for you guys. I think we've been able to find pretty good ones in this family. Yes, but I think it's about wanting to reach out to those resources. Because for the longest time, I didn't. I don't want to talk about it. And even my recent sessions, you know, therapist sessions, um, my therapist was like, are you sure? Like, you don't want to talk about that anymore? You're already... That's no longer a trigger for you. And I was just like, no, I don't want to talk about it anymore. And I didn't even, just because I didn't want to talk about the gruesome details and the have to relive the trauma and those memories and feel like I'm doing that all over again. And so I shoved the opportunity away to actually fully heal from it because I just, I just, it's disturbing. It is, but like I don't have a thirteen year old niece that can think about it like a full grown forty seven year old and doing that to a thirteen year old. No, not in any world. You know, and yeah, being told those words and the fear of accusation and is another I looked it up and it's not research and the fear of accusation is another reason why women don't come out right and say tell their story. And it really disappointing because I don't know it's part of life that fucking happens there's sick people out there and it sucks 
but I feel like you have to want to reach out to the resources that are available to everybody to to heal from it. Just even talking about it, you know, and it also sucks to know that you don't want to talk about it because people will be like, oh, they're just, they're asking for attention and they're grasping at straws to get love and affirmation and clout and this is stupid, which is why I never fucking talk about it. You feel like nobody cares. I don't want people to sympathize and be like, oh, poor you. Like, yeah, poor me, that happened, but like, I'm a badass. But then keeping the badass attitude made me not realize that I'm still a fucked up person because I haven't yet to process that trauma. Because to this day, you guys, like there's certain things that M cannot do to me, whether it's playing around, joking around, or intimately like, no, you just not okay. Yeah, it is. And for me, being her wife and being the person that really cares for her, like it took me a long time to realize that there was even trauma there until I don't even remember the incident. But I know I had to pry it out of her. It was like, I don't understand why you're not okay with me. Like, rub me my hand on your back. I hate when she scratches my back, but it's such a trigger for me. And anytime I'm getting ready in the bathroom and she just comes in the bathroom without knocking, like, oh my God, I left her. The very first time she did that, I had my shit left. Yeah. And I was so confused. I was like, what did I do? I don't, I don't understand what just happened here. It happened so quickly, but I think the moral story <laughs> is, yeah, it stays. And if you've been there and done that or been through that, you're not, you're not, you're not. I've been here for the good days and the bad days. It's everything in between. So many women share the same trauma and it could be isolating, stuff like that. That happens to you. It feels like, you know, you're like, no one's ever going to understand. But if you just build like sisterhood with other women, like you'll, the same thing. Like my thing for the week, like she shared her story with me and I was like, oh shit, dude. Like we, I went. And so I think it's reaching out and talking about it. Finding your tribe. Yes. Finding the right people that you vibe with and going from there. People care. People do care. And at the end of the day, our stories were written before we were even born. And before we existed here. And sometimes shitty things have to happen for you to find your truth in this journey. Long, long fucking journey, but. It's fun. Yeah, we're here now. You make it what it is. Thank you for doing this with me. Absolutely. Loving you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for caring enough to give me some of your time today. Subscribe, comment, leave a review, and share this with your loved ones that you know would enjoy it. Next week's episode, we'll be talking about life's injustices. Follow to make sure you never miss an episode and go on with your day as your unapologetic, authentic self. Because literally, nobody cares. <laughs>